you have your Bible, I'd like to invite you to open him to the book of Genesis, chapter 4. And actually, we're going to look at verse, the last verse of chapter 3, and then we're going to go into chapter 4. You know, in all the uh, Christmas things going on, I, I still am amazed how you can go into a store and hear glory to the newborn king. I, I, this time of the year is always such a blessing because you realize that, that even people of the world realize there's something more to Christmas than just presents and the whole Black Friday thing and all that stuff that goes on. And so when we really look at uh, what a great opportunity that we all have at this time of the year to share Jesus with people, man, you want to take every opportunity that you can. Remember, invite people to church. People are looking for God, man. There's no answers anywhere else in this world. Have you noticed that? People are mean. People that call you, they say you're, that they're your friends and they treat you worse than, than uh, an enemy. You know, God's got some great things for you if you'll let God do what he wants to do in your life. And so let's pray. Father, this morning as we go to your word, we just ask you that your Holy Spirit would now come in, a, in an extra special way and touch every single heart here that we truly can say, it is well with my soul. That, Father, we can truly say, I know, God, you're going to work all these issues in my life out. And Lord, for those that came in this room, those that are listening by the radio and around the world on the internet, Father, if their heart feels like a field of broken glass, I pray that you would take and come in a special way those things away and put your spirit of peace in their life. And so we ask you now that your Holy Spirit would come speak to us in Jesus' name, amen. One of the things I do believe is I do believe God, the one that made everything, communicates to us through this book called the Bible. It is not just a regular book. It it was a book that was written by the very Spirit of God. And because it was written that way, it's God's supernatural, spiritual way of communicating to your heart as well. And this is why the Bible says the word of God is alive, sharper, more powerful than any two-edged sword. Why is that? Because it's able to go in and divide the things that are troubling you from the things that God wants to strengthen in you. And see what happens when we don't have God's word in our life, we believe lies. If you take away truth, anything is believable. That's why the Bible is... That great book that tells us the true nature of what we are, what we're like inside. Have you ever wondered about that? Who am I? Why am I here? And so we look to Ann Landers and we'll look to our horoscopes and we'll look to our friends and our Ouija boards and every other crazy thing that's out there trying to find the definition and the meaning of not only life, but who am I? And if you don't know God, you're never going to know who you are. You're never going to even know the reason why you were placed on this earth. And that's why so many people are miserable in their life because they don't know why they're here. I know I'm here for a reason. We know that deep down inside God put that in our heart and our soul, but we don't know what it is because we don't spend any time with God to find that out. And until we find God, we're not going to know why God put us here. God put Adam and Eve in a garden. He said, till it, take care of it, 
All these things that, were, that God was to do, we remember they ate of the tree. And instead of saying to God, I'm sorry for the way I've lived, rather than saying, I'm sorry, they began to make excuses. And man still makes excuses for every single thing that he does. We're good at it. And you know, it's funny, that old sin nature the Bible says that we possess, you can see it in your children. Isn't it funny that when you ask your child, you don't have to teach your children how to lie? Isn't that weird? Okay, honey, now learn how to lie. Come on, tell me a good lie. No, you don't have to do that. Okay, okay, kids, come on, learn to sass me. Now, when I tell you to do something, you say no, turn bright red, scream and jump up and down. You don't have to teach your kids to do that. Isn't that weird? They just know. That's the old sin nature. And not only do they do it to parents, but they do it to God through their whole life, unless what Jesus said in John chapter 3, when he said it to a religious leader of all the people, he said it to Nicodemus, you must be born again. You have to have a supernatural change in your life where God borns literally his spirit into yours. Because he died in the garden. How bad did it die in the garden? Well, it was so bad, God banned man from the tree of life. There was two trees, the knowledge of good and evil and the tree of life. Now, in heaven, the Bible says we get to eat of the tree of life all we want. Isn't that great? There's nothing any person needs more that's dead than life, okay? But it's weird when we look for life. Yeah, Miller High Life. You can pop and pour all you want, friends. It ain't going to bring any life. If you don't believe me, go find some uh, cat or dog that's been hit along the roadway. Pop and pour a six-pack. It won't do a thing for it. Dead. But God brings life. And God brings life to you in your heart that is dead. That's maybe been hit by a lot of streetcars in this life. Hit by a lot of other things in this life. God will revive you. The Bible says he will. The Bible tells us that God put an angel to keep man from going back into the garden and partaking of the tree of life, thus keeping forever in a fallen condition. We find this here in verse 24 of chapter 3 of Genesis. And so God drove out man out of the Garden of Eden and placed cherubim, which is just an angel of worship, you might say, at the east end of the Garden of Eden, And he had a flaming sword, and he turned it every which way to guard the way to the tree of life. Man was forbidden to eat of the tree. Now we get into some new ground here, and we'll just read. Now, Adam knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain. You know, it's interesting. The word knew there means they had sex, okay? Now... I think it's really important because it's interesting. God's perspective of sex is so much different than ours is in our society today. You know, you, you will hear words and phraseologies concerning the word sex in, in, in very degradating ways. Uh, I don't know if I need to go into the explicit details of this. You know... I got her, I banged her. You know what I mean? You probably never heard a church pastor talk like this, have you? Well, okay. But this is what the Bible says. But God says Adam knew Eve. What does that imply? That he, in, he embraced to know who she was. 
It was not just sex, but it was that he wanted to know her. He, she knew her. And, and so you'll find this word in the Bible for this particular thing. It's not some derogatory thing. If you can't be with the one you love, love the one you're with in the old rock and roll songs. Well, this is a lot different. This implies a relationship. This is what God wanted. This was the original design. And people say, well, I'm going to abandon the original design and I'm going to do my own thing. Well, I'll tell you something weird. You can do that and you won't find any satisfaction. So then here's the next question. To find somebody that you can know that will know you, then what do we do? Do we go out and sample the field as... uh, well, the world today tells us to do? Or do we look at what the Bible says, how we find that right person for us? And there's a lot of things that happen. Now, something important to remember, people change. They do. And they change in their behavior. They change in their attitudes. They, and, and I have found that in marriages, you can have two people that once loved each other, even loved God, but because affections change because their affections do not remain in the Lord, all of a sudden, your spouse is no longer important. It is your hobby or your dogs or your cats or some other pursuit of life, whether it's your career or whatever. And now all of a sudden, instead of two people being in one house being one, you have two people polarizing and going two different directions. Eve and Adam were designed by God, and the thing is, it's exactly what Adam needed. You see, I I really believe that if you'll seek God, God has the right one for you. And I think a lot of times people get scared, and even in the Christian world, we think, well, there's just not that many Christians left. I better marry this one. Well, the truth of the matter is, God knows exactly what you need. And until you hear a voice from God saying, this is the one Don't get involved. Now, why is that? Because the thing is, God is preparing somebody. You say, but God, I am ready right now to be married. Some of you might be saying, God, I'm ready right now to be divorced. I don't know. But the thing is, I'm ready right now to be married. Remember, God is working on your spouse. Now, maybe you're not married yet, but the thing is, do you want a half-baked cookie or do you want to wait till God gets them done? You see, what happens in the course of life, we find that God knocks off a lot of rough edges on us. Have you noticed that? Have you ever noticed how critical you can be of others until you go through something like they went through, and now all of a sudden, instead of being judgmental, you empathize. Now, empathy is a weird word. Empathy is not sympathy. Sympathy is, oh, I feel so bad for you. Oh. That's sympathy. Empathy is where you go, I feel what you feel. Now, maybe I don't know what it's like to have a a brother or a sister die. But if you had a mom or a dad die and you know that connection between that person, you empathize with them. You can feel what they feel because you've been through that. But if you have polarized and you're not sensitive to these things, You can be very judgmental. If you had hard things, well, you lost your business, especially because you're an idiot, that's why. I'm surprised you know which end of a a pencil to sharpen. I I mean, we can be so judgmental. 
I'm just glad I'm not as dumb as you. But you know, when you then lose your business or you lose something that is valuable to you, all of a sudden when somebody says, yeah, I lost my business, you go, oh man, I've lost, you know, I lost this, I lost that. And all of a sudden there's a connection. God knocks the corners off of who we marry so that you don't have to do it. Always remember, God's perfect timing is best. Adam knew his wife Eve and they bore a son. Now look at this. Bore Cain. Now, maybe, maybe uh, this is probably a little weird because you got to remember, this is the first human being that was born. Adam and Eve were created. Cain was created, okay? He was born. Now, remember, Eve knew that there was a promise to her that her seed would bruise Satan's head. Maybe Eve, when she was holding that little baby, thought, This is the one that's going to do the devil in. And instead, instead of being the savior, he became a murderer. We're going to read that in a minute here. It says, and said, I have gotten a man from the Lord. Now, this is interesting. Um, Eve saw him for what he was going to be. He didn't say, I got a baby from the Lord. I got a man from the Lord. Real quickly here, there's some teaching that's going around that says that... Cain and Abel were twins. That is not what the Bible teaches. And I think it's very important that we recognize that because the next verse says, then she bore again, this time, brother Abel. Now Abel was the keeper of the sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. One was a, one was a uh, into livestock, the other one was a farmer. Now interesting here, if we go back very quickly, it says, I have gotten a man from the Lord. It didn't say I got men from the Lord, such as twins, but I got a man from the Lord. Second of all, we got some other things that we got to look at. Now, Adam knew his wife Eve, begot Cain. There is some really rotten teaching out there, oftentimes by people on television, What a novel concept to find mistruth. Anyway, that says that Eve had sex with the devil and that Cain was the evil seed, the offspring of that. In fact, I'm pretty taken back by how many people, I get this question kind of commonly on to every man and answer. And the thing is, these people claim to be textual teachers going through the Bible line upon line, but when they come to verses they don't like, it's called twisted scripture. And that's what they do. They start twisting the word of God to fit their own personal weirdness. Here again, now Adam knew his wife and she conceived and bore Cain. Cain is not the offspring of the devil this is not where she got pregnant with having sex with the devil in there or the snake in the garden. It wasn't really a tree at all, they'll say. They start making stuff up. Go back to the authenticity of God's word. You will never go wrong when you do that. I have gotten a man from the Lord. Now, not a man from Satan. 
This is a man from the Lord. Very much Eve knew what it was. So any teaching that says that Cain is the offspring of the devil simply is refusing to read the authenticity of God's word. Verse 2 again. She bore again, this time, Brother Abel. Now, verse 3. In the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of fruit of the ground to the Lord. Now, we talked a little bit about this last week, but why was that wrong? Well, we don't really know all the details. One of the things, we know God cursed the ground, going back to the preceding chapter, and uh, looking at verse 17, he cursed the ground, so maybe bringing something from the ground that was cursed was part of it. We absolutely know in reading this text that his heart was far from God. And God's more important, concerned more about our heart than what we do. You know, a lot of people out there say, well, the end justifies the means. As long as you get the job done, it don't matter how you do it. Well, that's not in God's book. God's more concerned about our heart than what we do. And by the way, when our heart is right, what we do will be right. Well, tells us here, In the process of time, it came to pass that he offered an offering to the Lord. Where did you go to offer an offering to the Lord? That's kind of a question. Well, they just went down to the local church. There was no local church. The only place that possibly that this could have happened, rather than it just being anywhere because God's anywhere we are, would be possibly going back to where the cherubim was in the preceding chapter that we read when we first started, where this angel was. Because cherubim are usually found through Scripture where the presence and the worship of God is at. So it may very well be possible that this is where this was brought. Abel also brought the firstlings of his flock and their fat. So in other words, the firstlings. That means that was the best one. And he also got the fattest one. Now, in Leviticus, it says the fat offering is to the Lord. You say, well, Mike, what is this about? Notice he says, and the Lord respected Abel and his offering. Now, it's funny. He offered the very best, the first, but he did not respect Cain. In his offering, and Cain was very angry, and his countenance fell. Now notice, it doesn't say he was angry at himself. In the context, in the Hebrew, it indicates he was angry at God because God didn't accept what he did. Now isn't that the way it always is today? How mad people are always at God? Always cussing God out, God damn this, and all this other stuff that you hear all the time? And you go, what in the world? Are, why are you mad at God? What did God do? Why, why are you blaming God? And see, the problem is with, with Cain, he was angry. His countenance fell. Now, it may very well be that when these offerings were presented, perhaps Adam and Eve were there, we don't know, and, and God approved the one and disregarded the other one, we don't know. So the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your countenance fallen? 
If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not know well, do well, sin lies at the door, and its desire is for you. But you should, but it, you should, but you should rule over it. Notice where it says, "There's a catalyst for sin, friends." And and again, most of it that I have found in life is rebellion to God. It waits at the door. How far is sin away? It's right there. You don't have to go looking for it. It's right there, okay? You ever notice that? Sin presents itself as an option to rebel against God. And, and it, it's not hard to find. Uh, it's at the door. It's what you do with it when it presents itself. Do you give in to it or do you rule over it? You got your choice. Now, here's the problem. You got a serious problem. Old sin nature. Old sin nature is in rebellion to God, so which basically says when sin presents itself at the door, I don't really have any power against it, so I'll be swallowed up by it. That's why, again, going back, John chapter 3, Jesus said to Nicodemus, you must be born again. You need supernatural help to conquer the problems in your life. If you do not have God helping you Life is too big for you. Have you ever felt like killing yourself? You know what that means? You're, you know, you, you've actually come to a great revelation, believe it or not. Life is bigger than you are. And you realize, I cannot come up with the solutions for life. I need help. And I suppose if I had people put their hands up in this room today, how many times, the, even this week, the devil said to you, go kill yourself. You'd be surprised how many hands would go up in this room. Because you see, the Bible says he's the destroyer of your soul. The devil wants to keep you from doing what God puts you on this earth for. Again, you're not a mistake. You're not cosmic sludge. It isn't the lightning hit a swamp and a bunch of squiggly things, a couple billion years, and here you are. No, you were divinely made. No one has ever been like you on this earth ever before. No one will ever be like you ever again on this earth. You are unique to what God has done. And again, to find what God wants us to do. Why do you think when, when they came to Jesus? And they said, Jesus, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. And Jesus said, well, when you pray, pray in this manner. Now, he didn't say, pray this prayer mindlessly, millions of times, till it doesn't mean anything anymore, but you said, some way think you're getting kudos for repeating it over and over again. He said, when you pray, pray in this manner or in this blueprint. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And here it is, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Again, I can never stress enough concerning the Christian life as a pastor to you that you endeavor to ask God, God, why am I here and what do you want me to do for you? Because if you don't, you will never be satisfied in your soul and the idea of checking out of this world becomes more and more appealing. You see, another, see, what does everybody say? You're a cosmic accident. We just evolved. You're nothing more than a, a, than a shaved monkey. And the poor kids in school today go, okay, I guess that's what I am. Thank God for God's word that overrules 
these goofy ideas that are being taught in the schools. Friends, I fault the schools of America for 99% of the problems in America. When you stop to think that Yale and Princeton and many of these universities used to be Christian colleges, now they're the petri dish, you might say, of liberalism and anti-God. And this is what the problems are. And this is why people are looking for something for meaningful purpose of life rather than serving God. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. That's why you're here. But when you reject God, then you have to have another reason to live. And what could that reason be? And see, this is what is being circulated and taught in your schools. And this is why when kids come out of school, they don't know how to think. They only know what to think. And believe me, friends, there's a big difference between quantitative reasoning and being indoctrinated. Reasoning is where you can look at the facts and go, hmm, mm, no, no, not that one, no, no, not that one, no, not that one. The schools today say, don't even think about that. We will tell you what to think. This is what is, this is what isn't, and if you're outside that parameter, you're wrong. You're from a Victorian age of thinking. You're from some kind of, of, of a lower educational level. And this is where the problems come from. But the greater problem even than that is this, is without God, we don't know why we're here. Abel brings a sacrifice to God, the best that he had, and God accepted it. The Bible just tells us Cain brought a sacrifice, but it was rejected from the earth. Here's a carrot, God. God, would you like a turnip? (laughs) I don't think God liked turnips. But whatever it was, notice, and by the way, something else, the reproduction of animals, really, man doesn't have a lot to do with that. That's just something God does. And Abel took the best that he had. Where fruits and vegetables and all those things, fruit of the ground, is what Cain brought to God is a, a result of our work. And our work will never appease God because it isn't by our sweat, it's by what God does. And so we find then, he says, if you do well, won't you be accepted? By the way, God wasn't mad at Cain. He just said, you can do better than that. Now, now what what was really Cain's problem? There's a lot of speculation on that. The nature of his sacrifice could have been uh, the quality of what he brought. Maybe they were the old moldy ones. Or maybe it was just his heart condition. The Bible doesn't tell us. And I think the Bible doesn't tell us for a reason because I think we have to analyze why I do what I do. In fact, you'll find God asking that. Remember when Adam and Eve sinned? What's the first thing that God said to Adam and Eve after they sinned? You rotten little rascals. No, he didn't say that. The first thing God said to Adam and Eve after they sinned, where are you? I think God's been asking that question for a lot of us for a long time. Where are you? Well, God's not mad at asking questions. It's just our answers are so flaky. Well, notice he says, 
If you do well, won't you be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is at the door. You better rule over it. It'll get you. Friends, I want to tell everybody the same thing. It's no different for Cain than it is for any person today that is not born again. Sin is at the door and it will take its first opportunity to destroy you if it can. Now notice the next verse. Now Cain talked with Abel, his brother. And it came to pass when they were in the field, Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and killed him. Wow, the first family has big problems. You think you got problems in your family. Here's the first family. They got murdering going on. Notice another thing. It says they were in the field. It was probably premeditated. He goes, well, I'll go get out there and I'll just act like we're going to talk a little bit. and, You know, killed him. How'd he kill him? I don't know. Maybe he picked up a rock and he whacked him in the head with it. Now, it could have been a semi-automatic rock. We're not really sure. But right after, no, we knew legislation was being formed to confiscate all the rocks in the world. This idea, if you can just take guns away from people, we'll have no more murder with with people anymore. We're going to take away the guns. Have you heard that from any of our loon people, politicians out there? People have been killing people a long time before they invented guns, friends. Now, here's the big problem with this. You can't do that. You can't confiscate semi-automatic rocks because they'll make knives. And if you take away the knives, they'll get fuel trucks. And if they can't use fuel trucks, they'll use box knives. And if they can't use box knives, they'll use airplanes. And if they can't... See, the thing is, the heart of man is desperately wicked, the Bible says, above all things. Who can know it? And so we find a premeditated heart of Cain. Now notice, as we get into this, now this is what I really like. Okay? Because, you know, if you go to college, they, you know, they, they, they go through Freud, and they go through Jung, and they go through all these different ideas of the inner psyche of man. Okay, why do people do what they do? Well, they're trying to explain the old sin nature without admitting that we have an old sin nature. Okay, well, here it is. And then the Lord said to Cain, where is your Abel, your brother? Now, this is reminiscent of when Adam and Eve sinned. Where are you? Now he's saying, where is your brother? And he said, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? This is really a weird word because this isn't the first time it appears. You, you see, God told Adam, and he told Adam to be a keeper of the garden, to, to take care of the garden. It is interesting that Cain knew as the senior brother, the oldest in the family, that he was to be a keeper. And he actually even uses that word, am I brother's keeper? I don't know. Notice what God says. And God said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. It is interesting that bloodshed defiles the land. It just does. I think that's what we're seeing universally, unfortunately, in our own country today, is we're seeing the bloodshed 
defiling our land. You see, you can say, well, we'll, then we'll fix this. We'll take away everybody's guns. That ain't going to fix it. They'll stab each other. Uh, the, 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 I don't know if you've ever seen the, these documentaries on TV and they'll have this guy's carrying a Bible and they, they open the Bible up and it's not the Bible at all. It's hollowed out and there's a homemade knife in there that, that they keep. They make these in prison. I don't know how they get the metal to make them in prison, but they do. And oh, they're creative. You know, I mean, they'll, you know, you got the metal frame around the, the mirror in the bathroom and they'll pry that, that metal frame off and then they'll scrape it on the, on the concrete and make a knife out of it. They're creative. You know, if you want to kill people, you can get real creative. You don't need a gun to do that. The point is this. What have you done? Now, we're great at excuses. Short on, short on repentance. Verse 11, so now you are cursed from the earth, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you till the ground, it shall no longer yield its strength to you. A fugitive and a vagabond, you shall be on the earth. This is weird because it was already cursed because God said to Adam, from now on, you're going to have to till the ground. And then he actually adds more onto Cain and says, even when you till the ground, it isn't going to bring forth anything. Do you notice a progression here? (laughs) It gets worse as you stay in rebellion to God. That's just what it does. For anyone listening today, if God is after you, if God is dealing with you, and you don't, and you harden your voice, uh, uh, your heart against God's voice, it ain't gonna get better. It gets worse, and and it isn't because God's putting a whammy on you. Please understand that it is the natural course of rebellion to God. That's just what happens. It isn't that God says, hey, don't do this, don't do that, because I don't want you guys to have any fun at all. No, the reason God says don't do this is because God knows the true nature and the destructiveness in that, though we don't see it. That's the way it ends up. I've had people say to me, boy, if I knew who that was going to come out, I would have never done that. Yeah, well, if you'd have read the Bible, you'd have known how it came out because God says, this is how it comes out if you do this. Isn't it weird that the Bible knows the future? Well, see, that's what God does. So Adam, cursed, the ground's cursed. He has to work hard. Now, Cain, the Bible says, even what you do. I don't know what Cain sustained himself with. Maybe it was just eating weeds. I don't know. But notice it says here, And Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Wow. You would have think Cain would have said, God, I'm really sorry for killing my brother. But you see, the old sin nature is still always center-focused. See, that's, what's, that's why a, a, a Christian can't marry a non-Christian. Because a true born-again Christian, I, I always like what James Vernon McGee says, there are real believers and then there are make-believers. But if you're re- married to a real believer, the focus is going to be on God. 
If you're a make-believer, your focus may appear to be on the outside towards God, but actually what lights your fire is you. And Cain is still centrally focused on himself. My punishment is greater than I can bear. Ay, 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 ay. This guy had an eye problem, didn't he? Well, notice what it says here. It says, so... My punishment is greater than I can bear. Surely you have driven me out this day from the face of the ground. I shall be hidden from your face. I shall be a fugitive and a vagabond on the earth. And it will happen that anyone who finds me will kill me. And the Lord said to him, therefore, whoever kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord set a mark on Cain, lest anyone finding him would kill him. Now, a mark on Cain. What is, what is that? You know, it's interesting. In the first couple of chapters here in the Bible, we find this mark appearing on people. And then if you go to Revelation, the very end of the book, you find a mark appearing on people who are sold out to the devil called the mark of the beast. Mark, name, or number. We don't know what this mark is. The Mormon church says that uh, God turned Cain black. That's what... I heard the laughing. It is 100% true. Okay? In fact, I asked one of the 24 elders from Salt Lake one time, I asked him, I said, I said um, you got a revelation that God has forgiven all the black people and now they can hold the priesthood. And he said, that is absolutely true. And I said, and according to your doctrine, the reason black people are black is of the cursed race of Cain. They said, that's absolutely true. And I said, well, when God forgave them, why didn't they all turn white? He didn't have an answer for me. Now, the point is simply this. I don't believe God turned Cain black. I believe maybe God turned Cain white. I don't know. But whatever it is, when we get towards the end of this story, you never find anything more about Cain and this group of people, his descendants. They just vanished. The point is, I don't know what mark God put on him. I don't know whether the mark was that he could never finish what he started. Sounds like a lot of guys I know. I don't know what the mark was. I think anybody that tries to say what the mark is is simply speculating themselves into heresy. So we need to be very careful. When the Bible is silent on something, we need to be silent on it. And so when this was presented to me by a particular religion, I just said, you're absolutely bogus. You can't prove it. Oh, yes. I said, it's not even in the Book of Mormon. You're making this stuff all up. When you look at this, you realize there was a mark on him. I don't know what the mark was. He just couldn't finish what he started. Maybe God put a seal on his head. I don't know. Maybe like the mark of the beast, mark on his hand or on his forehead. I don't know. But it's weird that there was a mark upon him that nobody should mess with him. Why is that? Because vengeance is mine, says the Lord. God said, I... Now, to me, it's weird. Why didn't God kill Cain after he killed Adam, that's capital punishment. And um, we don't have any record for that. Maybe God left him alive as a demonstration to show that you rebel against God, you're going to wander your whole life. 
You're going to try to do things as he says. You're going to till the ground, but it's not going to yield anything. It's all for nothing. Maybe that was the point. But one thing I do know is this. When you do what God wants you to do, you'll find your life fulfilled, and what you do will make a difference in eternity. It won't be for nothing. This morning as we close, we look at this story, the story of human nature, the story of making excuses. And again, going back to finding, uh, when it comes to dating, or even friends for that matter, find people that serve God. If you're married to somebody that's serving themselves and you're trying to serve God, you're going to have conflict of interest, guaranteed. Yeah, but they're so nice. It's really weird. I was talking to this one girl one time and she says, I, I, I can't stay married to my husband. And I said, why? She said, he's a full-blown alcoholic, man. She goes, I open the, the refrigerator door and it's enough booze in there to float a boat. And I I said, well, why did you marry him? She said, well, let me ask you a question. Did he drink when you met him? Well, yeah. Why did you marry him? And you know, she told me what I've heard so many times. I didn't think it would be a problem. You see, finding somebody that serves God is going to be a lot different than serving themselves. Be careful of the world and the things in it. Be careful of make-believers instead of real believers. Because you'll go two different directions. The Bible warns, don't even go into business with people that are not true believers. Why is that? There's a different thing lighting their fire. It's all about them. And so when the question is asked, what have you done? Rather than finding some kind of repentance and saying, I'm sorry, you'll find my punishment is too great for me. Or in Adam's word, that woman you gave me. Or in Eve's words, that serpent told me to do that. We're masters of excuses. All I'd ask you to do today is consider this. And this is what being born again is. This is what Jesus said, you must be born again. How do I get born again? The Bible says we cease to serve ourselves. We say, okay, God, put your spirit in me. Born in your spirit into me. That very thing that died in Adam and Eve and is exemplified in Cain and the rest. Born your spirit into me that I'll be about your business from this day on. You see, I've lived long enough. I don't, know whether you're, I don't know whether you're 15 or 30 or 90. Have you lived long enough to know that when you serve yourself, it doesn't amount to anything? You can look back at your accomplishments, your hobbies, those things that you thought were so important, maybe the very things that brought a divorce in your life or, or caused you to have a, a, a split in your family where you don't talk to your friends or your kids or anybody anymore. And you get at the end of your life and you look and you say, you say, what was I doing? I guarantee you, if you accept Christ as your Savior, this I do know. I've regretted many things that I've done in my life. But I have never once ever regretted what I did for God. Do you know why? 
because that's going to stand forever. The other stuff, feathers, going to go away. But what you do for God will remain forever. And you'll get an eternal reward for that. And friends, that's what you want. You say, but I, I, I'm still serving myself. I haven't turned my life over to God. I, 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 I'm still driving, man. I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm driving. Where are you going? I don't know. God asked the question all the time. Adam, where are you? Ask Cain, what have you done? Maybe God would ask you today, where are you going? And the point is, if you don't know, today's your day to change. The Bible says, old things pass away. Behold, all things become new. God comes into our life, physically, literally into our life, and he begins this wonderful restoration that we so desperately need. There's a lot of things that are failing in us. In fact, even as a Christian, I realize there's things that are failing in me. And that's where God comes in daily and repairs those things. Do you ever notice how long it takes for your house to fall into disrepair if you never do anything for it? They say the average house, if you don't do anything to it, will last about 10 years before you have major issues. In other words, if you don't keep the upkeep on your house over those 10 years, within 10 years, you will have major problems. You know, the rain gutters fall off and then the water floods the, the foundation. You, 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 know, you know the story. That's why Home Depot and Lowe's exist, I guess. But the point is, is this. It needs maintenance. And if you're not a Christian here today, who's maintenancing you? Your friends can never give you what you need. Your parents can never give you what you need. Your spouse can never get you, give you truly what you need. It only comes from God because he's the fixer, the repairer of our souls. This morning, if you've never received Christ as your Savior, you said, I've had enough. <laughs> I, I, uncle, I, I don't want any more. I don't want to give myself any more excuses for the way I'm living. You pray this prayer, and God will do exactly as you ask. And so if you're ready to pass from death unto life, pray this, and God will do exactly what you ask. And so we're going to pray. If you've had enough, you say, okay, God. From now on, it's all you. You pray. God will do what you ask. Let's pray. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. And I ask you to forgive me of my sins. No more excuses. No more putting it off another day. I confess my sin, and I'm sorry. I believe Jesus died on the cross for me. And his blood covered my sins. And took it away. So now come and live inside of me and fix all those things that are wrong that I can live each day for you. Show me what I'm called to do by you. Write my name in your book of life. Lord, that I can say it is well with my soul. Fill me now with your Holy Spirit. Empower me to do what you want me to do 
And thank you that I get to live with you forever. In Jesus' name, amen.